Hi, I'm Connor Byrne and this is That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique insights. Well, today I am joined by Chris Allen, head of beers at Lines. Chris is joining me all the way from Sydney in Australia and I can't believe I'm actually talking to someone with the title head of beers. I recently saw the classic Australian beer Tui's had gone through a bit of a design and creative refresh. And so I was fascinated to try and find out more. So I dropped Chris a note to see if you'd come and tell me all about it. And here we are. If you don't know Tui's, it is a legendary Aussie beer. It's been around for 150 years and kind of just sits within culture. When you order a beer, you just order a new. So I was fascinated to hear about this refresh from Chris. What was the business need that drove the decision? What was the process like? How did they get to the advertising, which actually takes them back to some classic 1980s work? And what were the risks of all of this? It's such a wonderful story and so well told by Chris. Enjoy. Chris, thanks for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Great to see you. Likewise. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Your evening, you're at the end of your day. I'm at the start of my day and I'm about to start talking about beer. I, like I'm not doing know. anything for the Irish stereotype, am I? Am I? <laughs> no, look, and to be honest, there's, you know, it's it's just turned five o'clock um, here in Sydney, in Australia, and the bar is open in the office. So, um, you know, I'll be having a, a few cold ones, I think, after this. But yeah, no, different side of the world, but the power of technology and the, the beauty yeah. of where the world is today, right? So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's kind of the, the good stuff that came out of all the bad stuff is, is this, I think. Um, yeah. Listen, for people who don't, don't know you tell me a bit about you and and your path to where you are now yeah so i'm based in sydney australia um and i've lived in australia my whole life the uh the power of the island down here it's a different island in different spelling um but you know a a fantastic place to have have been brought up and, and kind of live my whole life here um i've always been around consumer packaged goods in my career um but before that i think coming out of uni i kind of made that I reckon a lot of marketers are kind of thinking, I love advertising and I love kind of building things and I want to create stuff. But then I also love the power of influencing and selling and, and kind of shifting people's behaviours. And, and so I didn't know, would it be sales, would it be advertising? And I remember I went for a sales job um, straight out of uni and they asked me in the interview, would you um, would you sell us this pen? And I, and I was like, this, this isn't for me. So I knew pretty quick I wasn't. <laughs> quite in that space. And then the other side, I spoke to some friends who were a little older and they were working in advertising. And they said, the hours were really long. And I said, well, that's not for me. So I was like, there's gotta be something <laughs> in between. Um, and I, I fell, fell into a great uh, role in a um, importer and distributor, which um, specialized in confectionery and, and kind of um, a lot of European packaged goods. And that was a really great way to cut teeth in marketing because it was a small organization learn a lot about the whole enterprise and running a, yeah. you know, a brand PL from start to finish. Uh, and then I moved into um, snacking uh, and beverages with PepsiCo um, here okay. in Australia. I was in more of the snacking side of the business, um, but a you know, really great big global organization. And I loved kind of learning from some of the best in the world, some of the best marketers and, and the best brand builders. Um, and then I've been at Lion now for, for the best part of a decade and, and, you know, really, really enjoying the challenges that, that, you know, alcohol and beer provide, um, and also the opportunities of working on, you know, 
iconic brands that have been around for hundreds of years. Um, and one of the beauties of working at Lion is we, we get to really craft and own those brands. And that's why I came here was the opportunity to shape things from start to finish and, and really end to end marketing and complete brand P&L, which is, which is super exciting. That's yeah. a quick, very quick snapshot. Very quick summary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that pen thing sounded like, you know, a scene from The Office or something, didn't it? Like yeah, oh, that's like, always, okay, oh, David. I think my first uh, response was, is this is this for real? <laughs> like, do you actually want me to do that? Um, and when I realized they did, I didn't last much longer than that. So, yeah, I'm out. Um, and head of marketing for, for beer, <laughs> it's, it's like amazing job title like it's like the best job in the world it sounds amazing it's yeah it is good it is good it comes look it's not always uh rosy and um (laughs) obviously i've got a lot of responsibility to come with it but um it's you know it's a pretty great title i think um as a as a guy coming out of uni and and you know thinking about where my marketing career might go and the titles i might hold i didn't know this one was on the on the list but um i'll take it um, yeah yeah exactly 20-year-old you is, is happy. Um, yeah. So we're here to talk, like, what I want to talk to you today about is, is mostly about Tui's. Um, we can get into other stuff, but Tui's is an iconic Australian brand. For for anyone who may not know it, I, I think a lot of people from this part of the world have obviously visited Australia and, and, and know it, and that was that's how I came to know the brand. I have, like, a... 20 odd year old Tui stubby holder somewhere in, in oh, the shed. I'd love to so, see that. That's brilliant. Uh, I, I, do you know what? I tried to find it this morning and I, and I couldn't. So I'll, 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 I'll dig out. You, a I'll get you a new one. I'll get you yeah. a new one. <laughs> um, but how did it feel taking over ownership, for want of a better word, of, of such an iconic Australian brand? Mm-hmm. And I think, like, so for, the, for your listeners and, and um, uh, around the world, I guess, like Tui's might not be a brand that instantly comes to mind because it is predominantly found here in Australia yeah. um, and actually quite regionally specific too. So the east coast of Australia, uh, more so than the west. Um, and it's been around for 150 years. So it started in 1869. Um, and, I, and it's one of the humbling parts of my job is when I think about how many people have been, not maybe even had my title, but kind of shaped what this brand has been over that you know century and a half. Uh, to then where I am today and my role in that is, you know, continuing the legacy moving forward. Um, and we're going to talk about the work today and, and how we're, I guess, leaning into what makes the brand great and, and what actually has been great advertising in the past and how we modernise that for today. Um, and, you know, I think a big part of the conversation is probably going to be, as marketers, how we resist the urge to always do something new and leave yeah. your own stamp and shift and actually go sometimes the best opportunity to connect with consumers is thinking about what the, the core proposition and what makes your brand great and actually celebrating that and freshening it up. But um, yeah, so I think I think that's kind of, it's interesting. I work across a number of our big iconic legacy brands and, and Tui's one that it also has a special, you know, feeling to it. Um, yeah. And is is very much for the for the every every man or the the every um, every person of today, and it's very grounded. So it's quite a awesome opportunity to actually think about how you deliver authenticity through a trademark uh, like that. Yeah. Does it weigh heavy on you? And not to overstate it, but you know, I mm-hmm. I, I think about iconic brands and and the as you talk about like 150 years of of history, that stewardship of it. You know, that you does that weigh on you at all? 
A little, a little. Like, um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say the responsibility is heavy at times. Um, more so because I genuinely care about right. not just the brand, but the the business that we operate in. And there are people at our breweries, there are people who are out, you know, selling cases of twoies day in, day out, where they rely on that brand for their job. Um, so you really start to wear your heart on your sleeve and recognise that what we do in marketing really does um, have a big influence, I guess, on more than just me in my career. Yeah. Uh, but with that responsibility comes immense pride, passion, and obviously, you know, when the work is great, um, you, you're going to get the, you know, the benefits as well in terms of like seeing the business rally behind um, the work and the brand and, and, and obviously... Uh, the opportunity for us to leave a bit of a legacy for the next marketing team to go, how do we continue to build yeah. greatness behind these great brands? You, you touched a bit on the the beer landscape in us in Australia. Now, I, my recollection, and I'm definitely aging myself massively here, but like it was kind of like a, a two E's VB market. Mm. Like, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. That's changed now, I know. So just re, can you give us a very kind of brief overview of kind of the, the the landscape of the beer market yeah yeah and i think like it, i was laughing before about our island because we are kind of <laughs> down the southern part of the globe you know we're very we're, beer was built around kind of some big trademarks um a few years ago and uh they they really just established themselves in the market and there wasn't a lot of um, diversity or variety there was kind of few big brands um, and that was really through the 19th century that that was that was happening um, so there was Tui's, Forex, Carlton, um, DB you know and there was really not a lot of you know you went to a pub and it either had one of those or yeah. one of the others kind of thing um, and that's significantly changed now and we've seen that across so many different industries and categories just variety and um, d- diversity of offerings and then even just beer styles has evolved so craft beer has become much more of a, a dominant force We've, we've got obviously a lot of international beer here too, um, but we tend to be a domestic beer market um, driven by, I guess, localization or kind of um, heritage and, and connection within state boundaries, which is why Tui's is quite big in the state right. of New South Wales. And you go to Queensland and Forex has been kind of the icon of that state and then Victoria um, has Carlton and VB. So it was a very... Um, it was a very interesting kind of landscape, not that I was a big part of it through the earlier part of um, the 19th century and, and probably the middle to later stages. But then the 80s really started to shift how uh, the brand started to connect in culture. And then through the 90s and then into 2000s is when we started to see more of a fragmentation or um, diversification of the types of beers. Uh, and we started to see a shift from these classic Australian lagers into things like uh, clear bottle contemporary liquids um, and then later in the 2000s is when craft really started to hit so now you go into a pub and there's 15 different options yeah. um, and you know for a brand like two is it's how do we connect uh, and stand out from the rest because uh, it's very it's much more challenging than it probably was um, back then yeah and so I, with with the legacy i guess with legacy and and heritage comes the challenge of how do you how do you compete in in the more diversified landscape with lots of different options and tastes and flavors and you know do you want your beer to taste like a soft drink you know like it, so there's yeah. there's that so how does how does Tui start to land and did that bring you to the to the need for for the refresh kind of packaging design like what brought you to the point of 
of the kind of brand refresh that you've just that you've just done yeah totally so i think you know as we we said tui's has been through so many different refreshes or restages in 150 years as it's had to so you know when you get your head around that you go it's actually part of managing the brand is constantly changing you know in a, in a very long time frame so the last 10 years has been quite challenging from a beer perspective from a volume perspective um, so it's been much harder to get the same level of growth out of uh, Tui's and many of the other brands in the Australian market so um, you know it was a time to rethink how we invest behind this big trademark it's our second biggest brand at Lion um, and actually then think about not just money and, and dollars but also how it looks how it shows up and how it meets consumers needs of today so we haven't had a pack refresh in eight years so packaging obviously being such a key it's the number one touch point in terms of how yeah. consumers buy your brand so modernizing that and really simplifying um, to meet kind of where design trends have been going um, but in reinforcing the distinctive assets as we know distinctive brand assets are so critical and when you've got a legacy brand you know actually they're the strongest thing and it's enviable uh, to have a hundred years of history behind something yeah. like a logo um so just really dialing that up is is part of the part of the fun um but then it, it did need a bit of a fresh um a fresh kind of perspective but it's interesting with so much going on in the landscape of beer um the the question we really had to ask ourselves is not where do we need to take it but actually what holds true to this brand that none of these other new entrants can actually offer and it's right. around value and, and and value proposition of what this dna this brand is and quality of the beer um, and so when you start to think about that and it really leans into what this brand stands for then you can focus in on well actually how do we amplify that what's that message rather than creating all different liquids to try and compete in that space it's actually staying true to what built this great brand to be today. And um, when you when you went into this 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 process, you know, I'm assuming a ton of research was carried mm. out to to kind of. I, I even probably get you to the point of saying we need to do this, right? Because just because it was eight years, it could be nine years or ten years. What mm. were the determining factors that were made it really clear that this refresh? was was required now versus we can wait four years or we can you know was there was there pressure on the business was there yeah what were those decisions and kind of a few things i mean pressure on the business for sure second biggest brand had been declining for a little while um and then i think also our consumer measures around brand health kind of all the triggers okay. that you would be measuring as any um, marketer would with a lot of things that had kind of compounded over the last decade or so around um being a bit of a daggy dad's brand now okay. i personally find that offensive because i'm a dad personally <laughs> but then second to that is i actually think um history and heritage is something to be pretty proud of yeah so it's trying to shift that perception to make it into a positive now mm -hmm. it does take a little time before that becomes something to leverage rather than something that you're, you're fighting up against so those are just a few signs of time is now and i think actually the other one I probably mentioned is COVID, um, which obviously disrupted everybody all around the world. But here in Australia, it really, um, the consumer and the beer drinker went back to uh, the brands they trusted and the brands that they could rely on. So being 150 odd years, it was actually yeah. a real strength 
So it was almost like coming out of that, we recognized an opportunity to go, this brand, it's our second biggest brand. It's so important to us as a business, but also it's actually resonating with consumers again. And this is an opportunity for us to, to, to show that we're still relevant. That is really interesting, isn't it? That people kind of, I know, I know, you know, I work for people in Australia and like it was, COVID was horrible, but like in Australia, like people were stuck, as you say, on, it's a big island, but it's an island and, yeah. and you, you yeah. couldn't leave. And so <laughs> people kind of wanted to go back to feeling secure, maybe, you know, through a beer. I know that sounds really like no. pop psychology stuff, but it seems to be the case, right? It, it is. And, and like we are quite a state driven country. Um, yeah. So Western Australia basically shut its border and it was like, we're not wanting, we don't want anyone to come in. So even within our own country, we felt isolated. So these brands that are kind of, you know, have a long history, are known for quality, people can trust, but also mean something to your state actually was really powerful. Um, and we saw good growth across a number of our state-based brands. So it was just a really interesting period, I guess, for all of us. And obviously, hopefully it never happens again, like yeah. that kind of um, extremity. But it's also, that is a huge shift in consumer behavior. And I think as a marketer, it's, you can react and respond in the moment or think about what's the opportunity and how's behavior changed and how does your brand fit to that? And I think it's probably more of that that we're trying to yeah. really leverage. That's really interesting. It kind of really created that, um, you know, in, I guess an insight for you as a, as a team, kind of going, there's something, there's something happening here that we can, we can leverage. And, you know, David Taylor, the brand gym talks about the concept of fresh consistency, which to me, it seems exactly mm. what you're doing. It's yeah, like, we're not trying to throw things out. How did you, how did you approach then the design piece particularly? Because I, you know, the famous Tropicana, example where mm. you know mm. they the brilliant design that debbie millman did and then that got thrown out and like their sales just plummeted how did you make sure that you weren't going to be two's tropicana yeah, yeah not a bad innovation maybe i should think of that um it's I, I think it was really coming down to there was there was obviously we did testing we did it we got great design partners um you know in agency partners but also internal uh, design experts here at line so you know, having the right people involved in the journey, critical. Um, and I don't just mean uh, expertise, but also key stakeholders who know the brand. So I think mm. this is another thing as marketers, we often think we know our brands best, but there are plenty of people who have worked on them for longer or know a lot of the origins and history better than us. So bringing them into the conversation and understanding. But as a, as a marketing team, I think the focus for us was always around what are the things we can't change? Right. What are the things that are absolutely consistent and important and so for us was the logo the Tui's brand name um the stag which is our i guess um emblem or kind of you know uh device in terms of a, an imagery statement that sits on pack and it's got a lot of baked in meaning for the brand and then there was kind of our our product descriptors or names and and, and then beyond that there was a little bit of color and all of these elements okay. form part of our distinctive brand asset matrix so okay. it was like okay these things are critical now, how we play with them, we probably have a bit of flex. And the brief was literally show us weird and wonderful, make us a little nervous, show us really safe, and then like let's play somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I think through that exploration and giving ourselves enough time and, and, and making sure we're checking in with consumer and checking in with stakeholders um, just allowed us to, to see where we could go. And I think, you know, when you actually push the boundaries, you often find they're not that risky or that, that dangerous it's actually where you got to play is in those in those edges um so 
we took a lot off the pack, to be honest, a lot of stuff that just didn't mean anything to us or to consumers. Okay. Um, and it allowed for a much simpler design. And I think it really shows in the packaging. Yeah, it's really kind of like certainly clear, clean, new new pops of the, the 2E's new. Like that, it, it, it's really, uh, I, I imagine in, in store, that's mm. like, it's really, it's really looks great. Yeah. And it's such a big brand already. Like for us, it's very different to a new kind of emerging brand, which needs to fight for um, space in store. We're, we're pretty, pretty well distributed. So it's yeah. actually like, how do you, we needed that packaging to stand out more than it has in the past. So we know consumers might automatically go in and look for new, but to be honest, most people have kind of got a broad repertoire. So it's actually like what's going to capture their attention and signal that there's something new about new. Um, so yeah, that yeah. they really go, oh, that's that's different and I'm, I want to pick it up. Yeah, I, and I, just interesting on that, like, you know, you know well about loyalty <laughs> working in, in beer. You know, people aren't necessarily loyal. So they might say they're, you know, I drink new, but like they'll drink everything else as well. Like if someone puts yep. something in front of them, they'll they'll drink it. But they really mean yeah. I'll drink beer. Yes, they probably 100%. drink wine as well, 100%. though. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, absolutely, and spirits and soft drink and any other beverage that suits the occasion. I think you know when you talk about that that uh, period of time where there were only four beers in Australia, like, like loyalty probably did matter back then. Yeah, it doesn't anymore. And I think the repertoire is ten plus, um, and it 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 changes like someone who drinks two is new is probably also drinking a craft beer. And as you said, yeah. wine and different beverages. So it's no longer that they're automatically coming into a store or even into a pub and thinking of your brand, you've got to really fight for every um, opportunity for attention. And so have you, look, you've talked about your distinctive brand assets, obviously you're measuring those. Um, are you look, have you, you looked at category entry points as well? Have you, you've got those worked out? Yeah, we do. Well, I was literally in a session on that earlier today. Great. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's very fresh. Um, but I think it, 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 we talk, we talk about category entry points, we talk about occasions, we talk about drinker moments. And I think, you know, it's, it's really changed as well, like what they are. And I think the stereotypes around, just the pub is is certainly not yeah. how it used to uh, what it used to be. So even as we communicate, again, say through the lens of twoies, is a bit like that consistent freshness uh, or freshness through consistency. It's like there's some spaces or entry points that we still need to show up in because that's actually drives the mental availability much stronger. Yeah. But then we've got to push into new spaces. We've got to find ways to connect in in areas that maybe the brand wasn't relevant or beer is only starting to emerge. Right. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Even kind of beer itself as, yeah. as a, yeah. And cause beer, beer versus a lot of the other categories is, is probably the slowest I'd say. Um, right. In, in, in changing the game as to where our, our liquid or our brands can really be relevant. Okay. Um, mainly because it's quite a traditional kind of industry in, in many respects. Um, so I think that's actually really exciting to go. What do we learn from some of these more dynamic um, alcohol or broader beverage um, industries? Yeah. I, speaking to that, the the kind of the maybe traditional nature, I, I imagine a huge um, part of the, the work and the partners you worked with were, were, were trade. So, you know, the bottle shops, the, the pubs, the, the clubs, you know, all that kind of, how did that work? Like, how did you engage with them because for me they're probably they're key customers 
even maybe more so or equally as the person who picks up the beer to drink it in in some in some ways absolutely i mean without them we can't sell anything right so yeah. um, we don't have a consumer uh, uh universe to play with but i think uh interestingly they're actually far more innovative and um pushing them i guess pushing their own boundaries beyond where they were five to ten years ago right um and they want brands like twoies to work so brands like twoies have always been the foot traffic drivers and and you see that in many categories right there'll be big kind of signpost brands that they just they can bank on to deliver volume um so but they the more tired those brands are or the less those brands are investing into the category the worse it is for the customer so we often talk about a three-way win at lines so there's what's in it for the consumer what's in it for the customer and then what's in it for line and i think it with it within any business you need those three uh because ultimately you'll fall fall down if you're not kind of delivering to all different uh, parties in that three-way win i love that um thomas barta um and Sil Saller of the Marketing Leadership Masterclass called that the V-Zone. Exactly the same thing, nice. but they yeah. call it the V-Zone. Yeah. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think a lot of us don't get that right, you know? So it's right mm. for, they call it about right for you because it's kind of more about your leadership, but it's, it's that concept of, of the V-Zone. And when you were rolling out then the, the kind of brand refresh, obviously a lot goes with that. So like the can, yes, that's one thing, but then there's like, what shows up in the pubs a lot of pubs might have mm. kind of you know outdoor umbrellas or you know all that kind of stuff how yeah. tell me about that that <laughs> that's a lot it's it's a lot so i mean look, the maybe the easiest way to answer that is this project has been going on for 18 months i think okay um and uh, <laughs> i can remember that i can remember when we first kicked it off and it's equal parts excitement with equal parts like fear and nerves around kind of know what you're getting stuck into because once you lift the carpet you know the corner of the carpet and you actually see what the floorboards look like and you're like oh i got a we've got signage over here we've got umbrellas over here we've got you know it's down to like staff uniforms over here we've got the brewery and the signage is out of date and what if we change this what does that mean for over here so it's pretty extensive um and i think the key on those big kind of brand changes or refreshes when they're so important to the business is how do you galvanize a whole organization around what you're trying to do yeah um and i think that's one of the big things as marketers is like to i guess drive vision and inspire the organization around what you're trying to accomplish because for 18 months we've had to have a lot of different people uh, involved in that project to make it to make it happen um and i think when you have a really empowered and um, excited business, you start to see that a lot of those jobs to be done actually get done uh, right. rather than you kind of doing all the heavy lifting because people are in on the journey, they believe in the vision and, and they really want to win. So um, it's actually quite, it's been quite amazing to see how Lions rallied around Tui's um, in the past two years, really. What did people get excited about? Was it, was it winning? Oh, I think like it's a great brand. Like yeah. it's just one of those brands you just want to you want to work on, um, to be honest. And then yeah. also you want to see it do well. Um, and I think that's where as a business, like we all know, we're not going to be here. I wish I was still here 150 years working on Tui's, but I know it, the the laws of you know human and the science around human <laughs> bodies will probably prevent me from doing that. Um, but you want it, you want it to win, you know. So yeah. you just go, how do how do you be a part of that? And I think. 
sometimes when we step away from the work, you realize I'm like, we're very lucky to be parts of building things and, and shaping things and influencing things and not just brands, but people and careers. And I think that's where people start to get pretty excited about being part of that journey um, because yeah. it's huge. And when, and I think one of the other things is working in beer. One of the best parts is I get to leave the office and see people enjoy your product on the weekend yeah. in social occasions. And a, and a brand like Two Ease, you actually see people who probably would avoid it start to go, that's really awesome. And you go, well, yeah, you know, that, yeah, that, uh, that, that is great actually. Cause that, that doesn't have most, most marketers, not most, but a lot of marketers get to see their ad and that's their moment going, Oh, look, there's my ad at home. Or would you actually get to see people drink the product and go, okay, you know, that's, that's there's, the work. Yeah, I think there's no better, um, uh, like, there's no better reward for your work than when you walk into the pub and you hear someone order a round of, you know, a couple of news for their mates or a jug of yeah. new and you're just like, yeah, yeah. that's, you know, that I'm, I'm literally watching you enjoy my product because of the work me and my team have done. And, and you go, that's, that's, that's pretty great. Um, I think so, I'd be terrible in those situations. I'd be going up to people going, oh, that's, that's also a problem. You, yeah. <laughs> my wife is, uh, she's told me many times that, you know, <laughs> when we're at the pub or with friends in a social occasion, it's not time for me to do impromptu focus groups. Um, but it's the best way to learn. I mean, like, what better? A couple of beers in with some strangers you've never met and you ask them about what's your thoughts on beer. And, and that is also a very fascinating entry to a conversation. Just ask people, what do you think about beer or what do you think about this yeah. brand? They'll tell you. They'll tell you. So, Yeah, yeah, they, they'll, they will tell you. Um... I'd be, I'd be the same. I'd be, I'd be awful. I'd be just like, why did you, why did you buy that one and that? Because you were standing in front of the tap, and I'd be like, I mightn't be as polite as you. Be like, stop interrogating me. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all of, huge part of this as well has obviously been new, new creative, uh, new, new advertising. Um, but the advertising has kind of, it hasn't gone back, but it's, but it's lent into the mm. past. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to try something, Chris, and this may or may not work. So um, I'm going to show the new ad, and then we might talk about it a bit. And I also hopefully have um, some other work that we'll, we'll try. So let's we'll yeah, try yeah. this and see if it works. We're going to shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So here, hopefully, we can see the, the new work. <laughs> How do you feel? Fighting hard for every hour. They keep coming strong. How do you feel? Backs to the wall, you're giving your all. But it could all go wrong. How do you feel? It's all to you to get the team through. So you power on. How do you feel giving all you come right at the final call? How do you feel? How do you feel? I feel Okay, so I can't. Did you hear that? I did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you heard it. You saw it. So hopefully that will work for for people uh, listening or or watching. That is the new work. Talk to me about it. Talk to me about the kind of the the insight that you know the process that led you to to that great work. 
I will. Sorry, the lights have just gone off. So let me just. <laughs> so I need to go home. Let me just. I'm real. I'm back. There we go. The show. See, I'm working late. That's great. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I'm sure the senior leaders that one. Um, so, <laughs> so I think this, um, the, the the crux of the ad really. I think the thing that we're leaning into here is the jingle. So the jingle, the music, the song. Um, that's kind of that is iconic Tui's um, work and. And when you when you ask any consumer about Tui's, that's what they remember. They remember, how do you feel? I feel like a Tui's. I feel like a Tui's or two. Um, yeah. And it's it was really built out of the '80s. So in the '80s, um, the brand was using that jingle, um, and it, the brand took off. It was really like just great. It was just magical advertising. Um, and Mojo was an agency here in Australia through that period who were partnering on Tui's. Um, and uh, they they did kind of Tui's work. They did some great stuff with other Australian brands. They worked on Qantas. They also worked on the a Tourism Australia ad um, where Shrimp on the Barbie was kind of came from. So they're kind okay. of just, they, just, they just got Australian culture and they just understood brands and connecting with, with, with kind of the Australian consumer and beyond. Um, and they, they crafted that jingle and they were famous for jingles. Um, and, and lasting legacy across many industries. But we worked with Alan Johnson, who's one half of um, the Mojo organization. And he actually, um, his vocals are on the original uh, songs. Oh, they're his uh, vocals? And we, his, yeah, on the original songs. So oh, wow. he's, he's fortunately still with us. And we, and we worked with him on, on this new edition because um, we wanted to, it wasn't just about doing the jingle again. It was actually about how do we, how do we use the jingle as a, as a, as a, I guess a, a memory structure in some regards, but yeah. actually bring meaning to the trademark of today, um, and modernize it a little. So it's got, it's obviously got a new um, music track behind it, um, and a much more contemporary youthful voice, but you know, it was about like connecting in the same kind of ways that made the brand great in the eighties, but doing it in a way that felt right for 2023 and, and, and into next year. So, um, that's where we kind of let back into what's made the brand great and what do consumers attach from a meaning perspective to the brand and let's play in that space rather than let's just create an ad yeah everyone loves creating ads um <laughs> let's just create an ad about twoies and that'll be great it's like well, no we, we've got lots to learn from in our history so um let's let's fish where the fish are and actually really bring and and celebrate i guess the history of twoies and do it in a fresh way I, w- I want to ask you about that. I think I'm I'm going to try play the the '80s out just so people. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. We'll see, we'll see yeah. if that works. Okay, hang on. We'll try yeah. this again. Uh, so this hopefully is going to be the right or one of them anyway. Yeah, which one? Amazing. We might need to explain. We might need. There's so many things. I think your listeners might need to. 
understand about that. That's that's there you go. That's Australian culture in the eighties for you. Lots of moustaches, short shorts. Um, yeah, brilliant. But that's, yeah, it's a, mate, that's and you just there's plenty more as well, right? There's plenty more. Yeah. It's just gold. It's just advertising genius, and it was brilliant. So yeah, and it was fun. like even I like you know as you do you kind of do a bit of a, a look on Twitter and. Like people seem to have really reacted well, and so I'm, that's like a like a terrible Twitter straw poll. People going, "Oh wow, it's great to see kind of you know this back." It's you know that I others were like you know they didn't they don't make ads like this anymore about the Mojo one, but the one we just showed now. But then you have made an ad like that again. So was there any risk though that you know going back? I, you've talked about obviously again f- refreshing it and bringing it up to date. But, mm. but were you worried at all that people were going to go, ah, it's old? Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> um, it's I'm not, look, I'm not going to lie, I'm a pretty honest guy. So yeah, that that risk came through. But I think I think the key thing for me on it was we were very clear on who we were going after. Um, you know, obviously through media principles, we'll reach enough people to make sure we tick off all the boxes. But at the same point, this was very much about lapsed consumers for twoies, people who knew of twoies and had some recollection or understanding, but had walked away. So that's a huge opportunity for us as a business. Um, rather than, Hey, people who have just started drinking, you know, you're 19, 20 in Australia, like coming to twoies, we'll, we'll find a way to connect and appeal. And, but it's actually like. They need to find their own connection with what is the DNA of the brand. And the big opportunity in the short term is actually looking at, you know, how do we bring people back to the brand? Because there's a huge population who tried us, used to like us, but they need a reason to buy us. Um, right. And, and that's where the jingle's so powerful because we could have created something entirely new and expected everyone to somehow attach meaning in a very yeah, cluttered yeah. landscape with mes- mixed messages all different days of the week. And this just cuts straight to it. And it takes people back to, again, brands they know, brands they trust, a, a simpler time um, and that security and safety to go, this is a brand that I used to love and why don't I love it anymore? Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's a pretty powerful device um, having something like that in your in your arsenal, um, and just to to be able to work on it's been a privilege. But I think I think the other thing to kind of remember on on, on the advertising is it only works if if you do it authentically and actually yeah. um, allow yourself to stretch it enough, but not too far that you break it and it becomes obvious that you're just trying to use it in a certain way. Um, so it's been it's been quite a great journey and to be honest if if alan johnson hadn't been part of that process it probably would have felt a little inauthentic uh, so that was a key part of a part of us uh bringing it back uh, yeah i guess honoring that he i'm right in saying he makes a cameo in in one of the he ads, does right? yeah he's in the crowd he's in the crowd um and he was he was partnering with us in the agency throughout uh, with that's Google. incredible so i think yeah it's and it's you know i think again talking to the history and, and you know being privileged to work on the brand um also privileged to come across some icons in in Australian advertising and uh, have their blessing to work with what is their craft. Yeah. It, one thing that strikes me is that you know it it must have come up in in research before that this was how do you feel was a thing that people connected to is you know with you know and so why why did it maybe take till now to bring it back? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, it did, but it, it never it never really came with the same emotional pull that it seems to have today. Okay. How do you feel as well as a, as a line um, or as a question carries a lot more meaning now than it did five years ago? I think just even in terms of, um, yes, like where, where men are today and also just as society in terms of well-being and supporting others. So there is a much deeper meaning to that line um, in society and particularly around Australian culture today. Um, but beyond that, I think it's kind of reiterating some of those earlier points. It's just It's just carrying a lot more strength to the trademark now in a far more positive light than it used to. 10 years ago, last five years even, you know, all of the memory structures for twoies were kind of dated in that era of eighties, um, which was which was probably not a progressive society that we are in right. today. So it's like, how do we shift and move beyond that and actually go, this is where society is today, and therefore, um, I mean, giving it a bit of a, a cosmetic lift to go, this is therefore how this is contextually relevant to today. Um, now, I'll also make note that we can't advertise like we used to, <laughs> so. Um, a lot of the kind of, um, I guess, uh, jumping off points creatively that you see in the ads in the 80s, we can't do um, yeah. legally, alcohol restrictions, all that kind of stuff. So that's a challenge in itself as well. But that's where you go. A line and a jingle can actually really help us cut through and, and drive that consistency across decades. Yeah. And to go back to the, one of the points you make there, like, the danger in which you've avoided is harking back to saying things were better in the eighties. It's not about yeah. that. Like it's, you no, know, it's definitely really. not about that. You can see that in the work. Yeah. And I think that's where it's on. It connects deeper um, on a deeper emotional level around. It's not about let's take you back to how good it was in the eighties. It's actually more around the values and things you hold dear are part of your society and cultural context, and they don't need to shift or change. And we're, we as a brand don't shift and change, and we're not asking yeah. you to do that either. And I think that's quite a powerful, um, you know, sentiment or message, I guess, for the consumer who goes, there's a lot going on in the world, and there's a lot that scares me, and there's so much change. And actually, there's a brand which continues to talk about the same things in a, in a contemporary way that speaks, to, that speaks volumes to me. Uh, you touched on the... Uh kind of alcohol and advertising and codes and how challenging that that can be it's it's obviously it is a difficult space to operate in in terms of just regulation so i know i think in australia you've got like obviously watersheds that you can't advertise before or after but Certain you can times, advertise yep. in day part right can you advertise during the day live sport so sport yeah. um during live sport we can um and different channels and, and different media touch points have different um restrictions um I think, look, to be honest, it's it's a good thing because it actually oh, yeah. is where society is and it reflects, you know, as a culture where we are. Uh, but what it does mean is we have to think differently about how we create content and also how do we connect. Um, and there's probably opportunities, you know, that we maybe didn't think was possible when we just operated in TV yeah. and out of home. Yeah. And now it's thinking about different media touch points and how do you how do you stretch and extend and connect in in different ways. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got its challenges, but you know, we're used to it and we're well versed and we work well with the, um, the regulators to make sure everything we do is, is spot on. Well, I met Johnny Cahill, who's CMO of Heineken USA for an episode of the podcast, and he, he worked in Russia and you can't mm -hmm. advertise beer in Russia. So Johnny, so there's a constraint, right? You can't actually advertise. <laughs> so he, he got trucks of Heineken driving around 
you know, because obviously that like the, the beer trucks have the branding, but they, they have nothing in them. But like, so mm-hmm. like he was like those constraints, I think, can sometimes lead to phenomenal creativity. Right. And it's, it's thinking about that and how you can be extra creative. Totally. And I think that's where you come back to what is it within your brand that you can leverage? Like Heineken is an exceptional brand in terms of yeah. distinctive brand assets, but also just salience uh, globally. And, and we're fortunate enough to actually distribute that brand here um, in Australia. So it's similar like with two is like I, I look at the, the line, how do you feel? And personally, I'm really hopeful and, and very confident that we're going to actually start having that as part of the vernacular again, where the brand is attached to a colloquial saying um and we maybe don't even need the logo attached to it that it starts yeah. to really and that's where you go well where, where do you want it show up yeah all of a sudden yeah. it's a much stronger uh, and broader context so i agree i think yeah whenever there's a challenge or a restriction it's actually how do you find the opportunity in it um yeah and, and how do you change and actually that's where you push the boundaries it can be exciting you, you talk is. about agencies involved. There was a few agencies involved in this. Obviously, kind of you know, design, creative, internal. How did that work? How do you manage that those relationships? So our creative agency, Thinkabel, um, world class, brilliant, um, brilliant partners for us on this journey. And then Weave um, is uh, our design agency, uh, and then UM, our media agency, are probably the key partners as well as Affinity, our digital partner. Um, there's plenty more. We've got shop partners, we've got kind of every, agencies everywhere. But I think, you know, it's really um, one of the key parts of this process. We held the briefing out at the brewery, invited the key agencies together, did a tour of the brewery with the brewers, uh, heard firsthand from them what it means to them, history, taste the product, all that kind of stuff. And I think having everyone kind of part of that, it was literally a family working on this project and then how getting them to engage with the different business stakeholders, customers, meet the consumer. You know, it, it is a bit iterative. You need to let them go and do their magic in their own worlds, but then you have to bring them together at certain juncture points to go, yeah. how does this all work together? How is it cohesive? Um, so we're very fortunate. We have great partners, but it is also a bit of how do you manage different individuals and different businesses um, towards a common goal. Yeah, and then the internal piece as well, because obviously then you need to make sure that you're bringing the right, you know, leadership in at the right moments. And was there any moments where you felt it's getting derailed? Have you been listening in for the last 18 months? No, I think um, I, I wouldn't say derail. I reckon one of the hardest parts of our job as marketing leaders is managing stakeholders and managing uh-huh. expectations. Um, so how do you, how do you continue to engage senior leaders and decision makers in the right way, but not at the wrong times? Does that make sense? So, um, you want them early and you want to go, this is where we're going and you want to make sure you're checking in before any, you know, any derailments are possible, but you also need to ensure that the feedback you get at any point does not derail the process as well. So it's, it's an interesting position to be in. You're kind of in the middle, but you're the orchestrator of it all, um, I think that as we touched on, there was plenty of risk with the project. Um, there was obviously also business pressure around like it has to be on time. We've got big things lined up against it. So there was definitely moments when things could have gone off track. Um, but I think that's like any project. You kind of just got to bunker down and go objectively, how do we do this? And as a team, having the engaged team behind it, um, you, you then figure out the best way forward. Yeah, it's di- like it is difficult because then there's the 
you never want to get into a place where you're trying to second guess either. Like, second, you know, either the agency second guessing what you might think or you trying to second guess what, you know, some of your senior leaders might think. Because once that happens, then, yeah. like, that's just an absolute, that's a car crash well, waiting to happen, isn't it? A hundred percent. And honestly, the jingle, there was a point in time where we said, is the jingle, should we do the jingle or not? Right? Yeah. And it was, it was, it was actually the brief was we should do the jingle. But at a point we said, this this could not work. This might it might sound horrible. Mm. Are we going to have permission? Are we going to record it? And you know it would have been easy to say do something else. And I think testament to the team to to bunker down and go. We really believe that this is the best way forward. And also you know our consumers resonate with this as the yeah. brand's proposition and creative device. And I think you kind of you kind of know when those big moments are happening. And you you kind of hoping you make the right decision, but Sometimes you get it wrong. Um, I think this time we got it right. And yeah. it, it, it comes back to sometimes just trusting your gut too. There's a lot of data and a lot of insight. And then sometimes as a marketer, you also go, you've got to trust that you have the experience and you've been there before to, to know what's right. Yeah. And yet bravery, I think it's been surrounded then as well by people who, who trust you. You know, so there's that as well. There has to come moments where, you know, don't, don't put me in, not that you'd say this, but don't put me in this role if you don't believe, you know, that that I'm saying these are the right things to do. And and it it feels like a two ease, but it, you know, it feels like it, it was the brave thing to do, actually. You know, you might yeah, look at it and go, though, it was easy to go back to that. But actually, to me, it's the brave thing to go to go and pick it up and, and refresh it. I think uh, it's it's e always easy in hindsight to go, oh, yeah, that was, of course. But the, the journey to get to where we are today was not easy. Yeah. Um, and whether it's bravery, courage, you know, it it does it does require someone putting their hand up and saying this is something I believe in and something I'm passionate about and something I want to see happen. And it's you know, how do you lead others through that that turbulence and, and potential risk? But it's also you, as marketers, you have to take risk. Like you have to be, you have to have courage at the heart of you and the individual but also your ability in the business and i think that comes from being curious like if you're curious yeah. about the brand you're curious about culture you're curious about the consumer you go well i have more confidence in the decisions i can make because i'm i know where i can go um and when you when you play it too safe you'll never you'll never push forward so um there's it's it's interesting we talk about the jingle being brave there's some more stuff coming from twoies that that probably makes me even more nervous. And I think that's, that's really exciting too. So that's um, yeah, really good. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you what, what's next, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, but just to that, that point about curiosity, it's really interesting. You know, the more people I speak to doing, that's what I call marketing. Curiosity comes across as probably one of the most important mm. qualities or traits or skills a marketer can have. Like, I find that fascinating. And, like, I'm really, I'm curious. That's why I'm doing this. But, like, it, it's a really important thing, I think, for marketers to to know that they need to be curious. And, and we don't have the answers. So we need to be curious to find out what they are. I think, I, spot, on, spot on. Like, as in, we, you grow up, I think you don't know that you're curious until you start actually looking at life through that lens and you realize everything you've done to to where you are and why you're a marketer is because you have an inherent curiosity about you. I think it's then how do you apply that curiosity to a, to truly learn and truly absorb and be a sponge to the consumer? 
because it's one thing to be curious, but if you're not asking the right questions or not taking the time to listen, you'll miss all the insight that actually leads to great work. Um, and I think, yeah, no matter who you talk to, um, curiosity, perspective, um, walking, walking in your consumer shoes, whatever you want to frame it as, I think that curiosity is how you continue to find where you need to be because we certainly aren't our consumers. And I think yeah. in a particular yeah. beer, in, I do, I'm not going to say that I know the Tui's consumer because they're so varied and also where they're going is probably very different to me personally in my life. Mm -hmm. So you can't just assume because you truly will be left behind. So I think curiosity is probably the most powerful device we have as marketers uh, to, to drive brand growth. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. What are you um, what are you looking at in terms of the metrics and kind of measuring the success of of this kind of refresh and the new creative work? Yeah, I think um, there's both brand and, and business um, metrics. I think there's probably there's probably a, a third one which I can touch on. But the, the the brand side is all around driving brand meaning. Pretty salient, pretty well. You know, awareness is pretty strong. People do do know of us. Um, but we, really, we probably haven't connected in the right way for 30 years. So to actually drive that meaning around what the brand stands for today, um, be, a, a, be a brand people are proud to be seen drinking is, is, is a big, powerful driver of that. Um, and then I think also just hard business kind of commercial results. And I think, you know, often we talk about creativity in marketing, but the marketers also need to drive the P&L of the business. So... That's uh, something I probably have on my shoulders. Um, so driving growth on the trademark um, and just, you know setting it up for, for the next five, 10, 50 years. And then the third one is um, is all around kind of, it's probably an intangible um, metric. And to be honest, I'm sharing it with you first, Connor. I haven't shared it with the others because I don't know how I'd measure myself on it, but it's around um, business kind of uh, belief and passion around our brands internally. So yeah. such a, a you know a, a big kind of project that we all are loving. How does it how does it help shape what what it means to work for Lion and work on Tui's um, and start to drive cultural um, energy in the organisation? And I think when you start to ladder up those different facets of a marketer's journey and go, how do I how do I progress the brand forward in culture and with consumer? How do I drive business results in the bottom line? And then thirdly, how does this inspire people to work at the company and and actually really make them proud to to wear twoies on their chest. Yeah, I I, I know what you're saying. Like that, like it's hard to measure. Like because yeah, it is quite intangible, but it's just that like it's 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 pride. It's it's belief. It's you know it's probably even retention in in some ways. It like is, people yeah, want to stay and work there. Yeah, yeah. And I think like there's many um, businesses around the globe, and like people often when they're interviewing for the jobs I had interviews the other week and they're like, I want to work on those brands. And yeah, it's yeah. the same when yeah. I came into the business. It was like, I'd love to one day work on that brand. And that's something that I think as marketers on brands, you you kind of don't see, but I want people 10 years from now to go, I saw that work on Tui's and it yeah, inspired yeah. me through uni to, to want to be there. Um, and that will only make a, a stronger uh, line and a stronger uh, business of brands in the future. Yeah, I think so. And there's, there's not... There's not so many brands out there that that have that opportunity. Do, do you know what I mean? And and that, mm. that people can. And that's so really interesting. Like you know, when I when I saw the work, that's when I reached out and I was like, I want to talk to you about that because it's fascinating that as someone who you know I lived in Australia for a while, I had that connection and I was like, I love that yeah. brand and I always loved yeah. that brand and I was like, they're doing something great. I want to find out. 
I find out more about it. So, Are you saying, um, saying it's working, Connor? Are you saying that yeah. strategy works? That's, that's, um, no, I think that's, that is spot on. And I think, um, you know, it, as I said, a privilege to work on some of these brands that have been around for 150 years. And there's a few in our stable, which we're very fortunate of. And they mean something to people. They truly mean something. And whether it's, you know, coming to Australia on a holiday and trying the beer and seeing it in culture and understanding it's really a big part of our culture is... Um, not just beer, but actually the brands and what they stand for, you know, to think then they come back or they you know, talk to their friends or whatever, but it, the brands mean something. And it's whether they saw their grandfather or dad drinking it yeah. or it's actually their own experience, it doesn't matter. It still means something. And I think there's only a few categories which have that generational pool yeah. where brands yeah. can carry through. And, you know, brands like Guinness, Heineken, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, these are, these are phenomenal brands across the globe, but, they've stood the test of time because they truly are strong brands, not just strong beers. Um, and that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story, the stories of, of Tui's. Um, it's incredible. And, you know, what I love about this is it's not just, as you've talked about today, it's not just a refresh. It's not just, you know, lipstick on a pig for want of a better expression. Like it's, it's been deeply thought about it's but it's driving commerciality as well and and I, I think that's wonderful i think sometimes you know marketers brand marketers or people who you know who who have outputs that involve advertising and creative are accused of you know not thinking enough about the commerciality and it's really clear that um that that's been a huge part of this and is something that was a driving force to to make this happen and then is a kind of something you're really measuring really really closely so um thank you so much for for sharing the story today absolutely and i think it's 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 uh, thank you for those kind words around how we've respected the brand as well but i think you know that's a lesson for us all that doesn't matter if your brand's 150 or one year old it's you've got to respect it and you've got to always be thinking about what's the best way for it to to show up today tomorrow and, and beyond and you know, it's an absolute privilege to work on the brands, privilege to be on your podcast as well, Connor. So thank you for reaching out. And I'm, I'm stoked to see Tui's, um, you know, being seen around the world and, and the great work that the team from Lion has done and, and our agency partners um, really creating impact. And we're seeing the results as well so far. So good. Keep it coming. <laughs> um, and when you're, when you're down under, Connor, I will take you out for a few, few news. Excellent. No, definitely. Uh, look forward. I'll find that stubby holder. I'll send you a picture. Uh, I'll send you a new one too. Don't worry. <laughs> Chris, thanks a million. Thank you, mate. Great to chat. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Chris was fantastic. You can tell he loves what he does. He loves marketing. And I love that about this podcast. I get to meet people who adore what they do. Chris knows his theory and how to put it into practice. The risk of going back to go forward cannot be underestimated. It takes bravery, confidence in yourself, your agencies, and the process to take that really big bet. But as I have heard from so many great marketers here, backing yourself and taking big bets matters. It was so great to hear about this work directly from Chris. And even if you don't know the brand, you can appreciate this story and journey that they've been on. Now, I need to go find that old Tui's stubby holder no idea where I've left that. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening or watching. That's what I call marketing. If you did enjoy, please do share. You can add comments with your feedback. You can get in touch and find all previous episodes on that's what I call marketing.com. 
Follow us on Instagram for some shorter snippets from our episode. That's what I call marketing. And on Twitter, where we talk about other marketing stuff. That's underscore marketing. And now you can watch episodes back on YouTube. Yes, you guessed it. Just go and find That's What I Call Marketing. So for me, Connor Byrne, thank you so much. Until the next episode, take care.